0: Before we dive into this, let's let's have a word of prayer, why don't we? Gracious and loving God, as we continue on this uh, Lenten journey during this season, we're we're not sure we're ready. We could call it quits now and, and not have to face the shame of our sin and the brutality of the cross. It'd be so much easier just to stay in our comfort zone where it's safe. But God, forgive us for playing it safe. Help us to take the risk of of looking within and looking beyond ourselves to the joy that awaits us. Give us hearts of courage and strength for the task which lie ahead. Give us boldness to serve you and your people without hesitation. Cleanse our spirits and make us truly ready to be your disciples. God, we ask that you be with those that are hurting this morning. Just allow your healing touch to be with those that are facing a, a surgery or, or waiting test results, or maybe they're not healing as fast as they would like to, or just physically and emotionally they're drained. And so, God, help them overcome any fears of darkness with the light of Christ's presence and promises. We pray for the ladies participating in Cairo's prison ministry this weekend. We know, God, that you have the power to penetrate prison walls and hardened hearts, and so we ask that you do that very thing show them your love. Give them new life. God, we give you all the thanks and praise this morning for your church. We thank you for Fellowship Bible Church here in town and Pastor Jason and and what they're doing for the cause of Christ in Cabin. Just continue to work in them and through them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And be with us, God, as a body of believers looking to you for guidance and direction. Speak to us in clear and certain ways so that we know The next step to take. And now, God, we just ask that you hear us as we uh, say the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, it's uh, It's good to be back. I was out last weekend with a group of folks on a, a marriage retreat, and I heard that da- Jamie did a really good job um, last week. We knew that she would, and so um, we're, we're glad that We've got a Jamie. We're glad we've got a Jared. We're glad that we have uh, people at the Vine who um, know God's Word, understand God's Word, and can spread God's Word. Um, and, and even though we, at the retreat, we weren't um, at church, we were digging into God's Word as well. And we learned that, uh, that God created marriage for His glory. And, and because He's done that, it is constantly under attack and And we have to work at our at our marriages. we have to work at our relationships because um, our our marriages don 't just go great simply because we exchange some vows one day, right um, Just because you put a ring on it doesn 't mean the enemy flees. it means the enemy pounces, um, but so often uh, we 'll invest a ton of of energy into. Uh, nurturing and, and strengthening and, and building the relationship on the front end. And this goes for any relationship, really, not just marriage, but any relationship. And then, and then when we get comfortable with it um, and, and, we're, and we think we're good, then we shift our focus to some other things, assuming that, uh, that that's going to be just fine, right? That it's going to remain the way we left it. But it never does, does it? There's a natural drift that occurs when left unattended. And, and for that reason, our relationships need regular attention. You've got to invest in it. You've got to be intentional about nurturing it. And, and if we are to understand uh, Christianity as a relationship, as opposed to like a religion or a to-do list, you know, to check off. But if, if it's a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we must be just as diligent and intentional about putting the work in. And not taking anything for granted and assuming that there's just nothing left to do. See, our human nature is bad about um, finalizing our faith. And what I mean by that is that we'll go just far enough to where we feel good about our salvation. We're comfortable with God. But then we'll stop right there because we got what we wanted out of the deal. And, And we stop short of experiencing all that God has to offer. And that's on us. That's not on God. You know, He wants to give us an abundant life right now. He wants to see His people prosper. And not in the American dream sense of the word, but in the biblical sense of the word, prosper. God wants us to, to triumph and bloom and grow and flourish spiritually. But we will unintentionally cap our faith because we stop putting any effort into spiritual growth. And what happens a lot of time is that we'll, we'll reach a point where, where we believe. In Jesus, you know, we'll read the scriptures, we've heard the stories, we get the gist of it, we enjoy the freedom that comes from forgiveness of our sins, and and we'll attend worship more times than not, but then we're tempted to stop right there. We'll hit a wall of contentment, and we'll be satisfied with where we are spiritually because to go any further would require us to maybe change our schedule or or change our lifestyle or, or be inconvenienced somehow. But just like in our earthly relationships, if we want more of what God has to offer, we've got to continue to pursue more of God. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant, follow me all the way to the cross. But what does that mean? Let's take a look at our scripture uh, this morning that deals with this very issue, and and it's what's required of us. It's what Jesus is saying is required of us. If you want to get the most out of your relationship with following Jesus, Jesus says, here's what you've got to do. So this is Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So in light of what Peter just did, right, confronted him. Um, He he wants to teach everybody. Jesus may be thinking, well, if Peter's got it wrong, maybe everybody's got it wrong. So everybody gather around, right? Called the crowd to, uh, to him. And then he teaches this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, that he always refers to himself as the Son of Man, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. This This is a sobering little speech here. To the crowd, because up until this point, uh, the disciples and the other followers were under the impression that Jesus was like this military Messiah, this warrior king of sorts that would defeat the brutal powers of the Roman Empire and he would put an end to the oppressive systems that dominated the land and he would make Israel a great nation once again and bring back the true religion of Judaism. That's what they were expecting. And just like us, I mean, his followers, they, they loved his his miracles. They loved the fact that he could heal and forgive, and and they enjoyed the fellowship of the crowd and, and the notoriety that came with being a follower of Jesus Christ. They loved all the promises of blessing and life and prosperity. And so when he said that if they wanted to follow him, it was going to cost them, they didn't know what to think. It contradicted everything they believed about the Messiah sometimes it can contradict everything we believe as well. You know, if you grew up in church, then, then you were probably taught through Sunday school and, and church camps and VBS and, and even the culture to some extent that God is love and, and it's His grace that saves us. And no truer words have ever been spoken. God is love and it's His grace that saves us. But that's just the starting point. It is a foundation that we must build upon as we get a little older and we're able to understand that spiritual growth and godly maturity and righteousness, it doesn't come from the fact that God is love and His grace saves us. Spiritual growth requires something of us. Salvation may be free. Salvation may be a gift. Discipleship? That takes work. And according to this passage, we've got to deny ourselves and take up our cross I mean, you talk about contradicting the American way of life and the theology of so many Christians. We like that other God. We we like the one that's supposed to give us everything. The God that sits up there and passes out prosperity and miracles and a clear conscience. The God that alleviates pain and suffering. The God that meets my needs and is waiting for my next request or demand. You know, the God that exists for, for us and our benefit. And unfortunately, that's the kind of God that has been presented to a lot of people. And it's under the influence of this kind of God that American Christianity has developed. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, calls a cheap grace God. That there's no cost involved in following this type of God. No self-discipline or restraint is required. And in fact, it's a theology that is based not on Christ, but on us. It's a feel-good message that has forgotten about the cross. And it's a very popular theology in our culture today. And that's why there's so many prosperity preachers on television. And and the content of the best-selling books and Bible studies that are out there um, are really about how God wants to bless you financially and materially. I mean, a lot of people would rather hear a sermon that closely resembles a self-help speech or a pep talk, as they had heard one that says, you need to deny yourself and pick up your cross. And carrying your cross, it's not a reference to just um, everyday sufferings that are associated with a human experience. Like, you know, like a sickness, or, or pain, or grief, or, or loss. It's, it's not referring to burdens, or worry, or stress, or responsibilities. It, it, it means living for Jesus. It, it means taking on the shame and the rejection of the crucified Messiah... It may even mean being killed just like he was. And I realize that we don't experience Christian persecution to that degree in our culture. But don't let that give you the impression that Christianity, that Christian persecution isn't happening to that degree all over the world. Because it is. And Jesus was telling his followers, he was telling them that if you choose to follow me, death on a cross may very well be your destiny. And we are so far removed from that thought process. We're so far removed that that we run the risk of being out of touch with the gospel. When Jesus carried his cross up Golgotha to be crucified, nobody there was thinking that the cross was symbolic of some burdens that you got to carry in life. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. Death by the most painful and humiliating process ever developed. It wasn't until many years later that Christians began to view the cross as a cherished symbol of atonement and forgiveness and grace and love. But in Jesus' day, the cross represented nothing but but death because the Romans forced their convicted criminals to carry their own cross to the place of their own crucifixion. Burying a cross meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule along the way. And so, take up your cross and follow me means being willing to die in order to become a disciple of Jesus. This is what we call dying to self. And dying to self, um, that's not the same thing as self-denial. We practice self-denial when we occasionally give something up or we quit an activity like many of us have done during this Lenten season. But dying to self, that's different. That's when we put to death our selfish desires and wants. And we surrender everything to Christ and make the decision to live for Him. When we put our own agenda to, to the side and we begin to listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance, that's, that's putting ourselves to death. And, and logically um, and, and common sense, I mean, it just um, it, it tells us that if we surrender our lives to Christ, um, then we're no longer in control. And we, we, don't, we don't like that. You know, that. That's one of the things that scares us. But you know as well as I do, as long as we maintain control over our lives, we have a tendency to mess things up. Because we're, just, we're imperfect people and we've got, we've got issues and we've got battles raging inside of our lives. And, and it's impossible for us to be the people that God um, has created us to be, wants us to be, needs us to be when we remain in control of our own lives. We do some crazy things. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll numb the pain of past experiences with medication and, and alcohol while God's trying to give us peace beyond our understanding. We try our best to, to avoid dealing with the issues in our life or in our relationships, and our marriages, because we don't want to admit that we've got issues. And the whole time, God is trying to bring comfort and resolution to the situation. We, we overindulge in entertainment, hoping that all of our problems would just go away if we ignore them. And the whole time, God is just waiting patiently for us to quit, quit avoiding, quit running, quit trying so hard to make everything okay, when God just wants us to surrender it all to Christ and watch the Holy Spirit do His thing. The call to discipleship is a call to absolute surrender. And although that's a tough call, the rewards are matchless. Friends, we're called to be cross-bearers not what uh, Calvin Miller would call Christaholics. He says that many self-proclaimed Christians aren't disciples. They're just people seeking happiness. Disciples dare to go deep. They dare to discipline themselves, and the demands that they place on themselves leave them enjoying the happiness of their growth. Christaholics, on the other hand, are people just looking for a shortcut to nirvana. But the reality is there is no automatic joy. Christ is not a happy pill. He is the way to the Father. And the way to the Father is not a carnival ride in which we sit and do nothing while we are whisked through various spiritual sensations. It is a process whereby we are actively involved in our own spiritual growth, striving towards spiritual maturity. Here's another way to look at discipleship. It's a question of whether or not we want to waste our life or invest our life. Um, The the warning here comes in verse 35 when when Jesus um, continues with his teaching there in the group. When he says this, um, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He's saying once you have spent your life, it's over. You don't get it back. Even if you own the whole world, you can't buy it back. There aren't any do-overs. Now, remember, he is talking to his, his disciples. I mean, they, weren't, they were people that had already confessed him as, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world. So Jesus isn't telling them or giving them information on how to be saved. That's Christianity 101. They already got that. He was telling them that if he's got so much more to give them, that he wants to give them so much more than what the world has to offer, but but they've got to surrender totally everything, you know. If they would just be willing to give up their lives totally to Jesus, then they would experience life like they have never known it before. They would experience experience those promises that he's given. And Peter, like on so many other occasions, he speaks out on behalf of the group, and he's like, you know, just, what I'm paraphrasing here. This Bible doesn't say this. I'm just trying to think like Peter here, you know. He's saying, wait just a minute, Jesus. You can't, you can't be crucified. You can't suffer. You can't die. We need you. You're, you're the leader of this little revolution that we've started here, right? And we're your top dogs. We're just now gaining some popularity, Peter was concerned that the movement would stop, that the miracles would cease, that the feeding of the multitudes would no longer happen, that their rise to fame would come to an end, that the crowds would would disappear. And that's why Jesus immediately jumps back at him and he says, this isn't about you, Peter. It's not even about me. This is about the redemption of the world. And anything that stands in the way of that plan is a work of the spiritual enemy. You see, when you make the decision to go deep with God, obstacles are going to be thrown at you left and right. Excuses are going to pop up out of thin air. The time in your day is suddenly going to be shorter, or at least appear shorter, and you're going to have an increasingly hard time finding moments with God. Why? Because your spiritual enemy doesn't want you to go deep with God Because once you do, then you start transforming into the likeness of the one that you're following. You begin to think and act like Christ, and you become this powerful force that glorifies God, and nothing can stop you. Your spiritual enemy doesn't want that to happen. And you may be thinking, all right, so what's the takeaway here, Brother Stephen? Give me, just summarize it. Everybody knows we need to be spending time with God, right? We, we get that. We understand that. That's, it's harder than, uh, than just saying it, you know? But, but we also think, listen, but if I can be forgiven um, and have eternal life under cheap grace where I really don't have to do anything, why, why would I want to mess with costly grace that's going to require something of me? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there is something in your life, there is something in my life That we have yet to discover. And the reason I know that. Is because with God. There is always more. There's more love. There's more joy. There's more compassion. There's more peace. There's more boldness. There's more mercy. There's more courage. There's more life. There's always more with God. And the only way to discover it. Is to go deep. And when you think you've gotten there. Keep going. And listen. Going deep isn't isn't about just having more Bible studies. It's not about more programs and activities and serving. It's not even about attending more worship services. It's really about getting yourself out of the way and allowing the Holy Spirit to consume you. It's about doing the will of the Father instead of the will of the self. It's about maturing spiritually as a child of God. Being a disciple of Jesus it's so much more than just a set of beliefs. It is an all-consuming lifestyle that results in a transformed life. And so, friends, let's pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are, we are verbally committed to being disciples Now help us move beyond our words and honor you with our hearts. Give us the strength to to say no to the world and and yes to your will. Allow us to discover true happiness that can indeed be found in losing our life to you, so that your will may be done in us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, guys, we've got one more song this morning and, and